0: You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping, to social media, to sports, and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become Liturgies of Life. Hello and welcome to all of our patrons who are watching live and to all our listeners who are listening after the fact. Um, this is An Act of the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship and how it affects your everyday life. I'm here with my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy, and my teacher and soon-to-be friend, Jonathan Peugeot, <laughs> who I've just It doesn't met take here. long. It doesn't take, <laughs> it doesn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, welcome, Jonathan, to the to the podcast. Uh, I, th- I think, I mean, you're a perfect fit for this podcast because we we talk about liturgical worship and how it affects your everyday life and, and how, um, how our patterns of worship um, are more than just what happens in church on, on Sundays. Uh, so for all the listeners and all the viewers, I'll read uh, a bio here for Jonathan so you can uh, know who he is. Though if you're watching this, I'm pretty sure you already know who he is. Uh, so Jonathan Peugeot, French-Canadian icon carver, public speaker, and YouTube uh, YouTuber exploring the symbolic patterns that underlie our experience of the world how these patterns emerge and come together, manifesting in religion, art, and in popular culture. He's also the editor of the Orthodox Arts Journal and host of the Symbolic World blog and podcast. Welcome, Jonathan. Again.
1: Oh, it's great to to be here. I always enjoy doing things that are closer to the church. it It, it helps to make me feel more connected to uh, to the community. So, right, right. Um,
0: yeah, so for the patrons who are watching live, feel free to send in any questions you like right through the chat. Uh, and then thank you to the patrons who sent in questions earlier. Um, so th- the main reason why I wanted to talk about ritual with you, Jonathan, and with you, Father Jeffrey, is because I recently read the book Power of Ritual by Casper Terkile. And uh, in the book, The Power of Ritual, uh, The 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 market audience, right? His audience for the book are people who are the nuns, N-O-N-E, people who feel a pull towards spiritual practice and and even religion and and um and ritual, but don't have a community in which to participate. So uh how can so he's trying to encourage and to teach his readers to take on spiritual practices but to kind of make them their own, right? Contextualize them to your own context. And it's, that's a very fascinating topic. And, and, um, but us as Orthodox, we have this idea that rituals actually sort of matter, like what, uh, what you do uh, changes how you interact with the world. And the, the, what we've named this uh, episode is, are all rituals created equal? Are all rituals created equal? And I think a good place to start is this first question I have in the uh, description of this uh, uh, episode is, uh, is it the content or the action of a ritual which which gives it its meaning? Uh, Is it the content or the action of a ritual that gives it its meaning I'll, I'll give you a chance to sort of jump in there uh jonathan and i do have an example from his book but we can get into that later
1: well i'm not sure i understand the question i, mm-hmm. I don't understand the. Uh, you mean like just acting out something without bothering with the content is that what, what the action part means
0: yeah so in the book he gives this example of um uh you know he he rues the fact that he was forced to learn the lord's prayer when he was young right because it's the you know it's the um The image of patriarchy and all that kind of stuff. Our father, right? Yeah. But he said, you know what? You can use this prayer, but let's say you're feeling that morning. You're feeling particularly connected with nature. You might say our tree, or you're particularly connected with your professor. You might say, you know, our professor who art in heaven. And you can sort of adapt the content of the ritual to match how you're feeling that day. And I guess you know, is it the content or the action that? that uh, of the ritual, is it just prayer yeah, okay. that's good or is it the words of the I, prayer? I understand
1: that the, I understand the question. I think it has, it obviously, it's obviously both. It's a boring answer, but it it's <laughs> obviously both that, that matter because, you know, there certain rituals are appropriate to certain things and, uh, you know, and you have to embody them. They can't just be theories in your mind either. You have to actually perform them. I think that one of the things that's important to understand is The idea of segmenting a certain aspect of reality as being a ritual one, let's say the religious part, and then saying that the rest of our life isn't ritualized is actually a deep misunderstanding of how human beings engage with reality. Your reality is heavily ritualized. Almost everything you do is ritualized. The way you eat, the way you dress, the way you wash yourself, everything about your reality is patterned according to its purpose. And that's what ritual ends up being. And so the question is rather, like you said, what is the content of our rituals? And let's say, what is the importance they have in the scale of, of, a, of a ritual reality? And so I always tell people that you know, addiction is ritualized. Addiction is religious because it's ritualized behavior that repeats itself. It's, like a, it's almost liturgical in the way that we engage in something like uh, bad habits uh, or addictions but the, so the content is absolutely necessary. We have to replace bad rituals with good rituals. That's the way we do it. And that's the way you do it. Even for your kids, you know, you say, clean your room, you know, you say, do these rituals, engage in these ritual behaviors in order to make your life more stable. And so that's the same with the spirit, with spiritual life. You can't address, like you said, a tree in the same way that you address God and you can't address your professor in the same way that you address God. Although there are rituals for both of those. If you address your professor in a, into a colloquial manner and you treat your professor like your buddy, you might run into a problem. You might run into a problem because you haven't properly ritualized your encounter with it's a different aspects of your reality. And the same with your friend. If you treat your friend like God, then you're also going to have a problem. If you pray to, if you say our father to your friend, your father, your friend's going to say, uh, I'm not responsible for giving you your daily bread. Like it's not my job to do these things for you. And so it's all about, it is content and practice, uh, together necessarily. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, father Jeffrey, did you want to jump in at all? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. But if I could jump to uh, Caspar Turcaille's defense for just a moment, and it's not in any way to undermine what what was just said here, but I think the context in which this is coming up, now I haven't read his book, I am somewhat familiar with some of the work he's done before around ritual and around, you know, dealing with uh, the nuns and duns in in society um, and and where religion is to be, you know, found today in religious expression and, and these kinds of community you know based uh you know groups uh and involvement in in, in ritual and so forth uh, the the problem i think as christians that we need to acknowledge is that for far too long as christians we were oblivious to what jonathan just said in other words uh christianity under the modern kind of era you know has become a kind of ideas based phenomenon so if you're a christian if you think a certain way right and then you almost paid no attention to the way you lived that out right so those rituals that jonas is just describing you know we're not actually informed by any of the content of what you maybe went and spent an hour on a sunday you know kind of looking at and paying any attention to the end or the telos the purpose you know you know of all of that and so I think what a lot of the people who would identify as the the spiritually done or the the nuns or or whatever ha, ha, had no point of connection for the kinds of things that they're seeking to do. In other words, people are now gathering and doing things in places like makers clubs and soul cycle and crossfit and what are they finding there? They're finding rituals that are meaningful for them, they're finding community. They're finding opportunities to kind of transform their lives to to find purpose. You know, it, it, a lot of these places, I mean, like CrossFit, is where people go when they they get a cancer diagnosis because they're going to find community. They're going to find people who care for them, who are going to mm. look after them, bring them meals. You know, that what I'm just describing should be what a church community you know looks like. But it, it ceased to be that. It just became this place where you ascribed some sort of mental. You know, uh, sub, you know, subscription or, or assent to some idea, but then you went about your life as a normal person being formed, interestingly, by all the rituals of our kind of late modern capitalist culture and everything. You became a consumer and a producer, just like anybody else, paying no attention to, you know, what the Christian ritual was supposed to be doing and in infecting your life and so forth. So I think, you know, without saying Casper is right about the tree business, etc., because he's not, right, for all the reasons Jonathan just said. But the point of why people are almost like casting about and, and trying to invent for themselves a whole way of being is because they cease to find it in, mm-hmm. you know, kind of traditional Christian community where it ought to have been, you know. And so if we can we, we need to take this as a challenge to remarry that content and form in ritual, in worship that is meaningful, that, that leads to purpose-driven lives, you know, every day of the week and and cascades down through all of those layers that Jonathan was just talking about. It's perfectly true, right, that, that we make very clear delineations between, you know, the things which we ascribe to God, which is what our theology does for us if we pay attention to it. If we listen to liturgy, we're very clear about what we venerate and what we, you know, what we actually give ultimate worship to and and so forth. So all that's true. I think there's just a context for Casper's book almost that is a challenge to us rather than something we necessarily just sort of say, well, no, he's wrong. Let's move on. I think we need to listen to what these things are doing in our society. And almost, I mean, to me, it's a, a positive opportunity that we're being presented with. Because if we, if we actually pay attention to what is happening in these groups with people who are doing these things, we have an, a real window to go in and say, hang on a minute, how about you don't you know, work so hard at trying to invent all of this? There's this other thing which we have, which has all those characteristics of community and transformation and, and purpose finding and accountability, et cetera, that you're looking for, but it comes as a gift it comes as grace not something you need to grasp after and force your way into and and invent which is very stressful and i mean that the same people are doing all this are the most anxiety you know racked people in human history and god's gift to us of purpose is a grace and we need we can receive that and and live that in a ritual way that is not actually going to you know force us and dement us and deform us in all these other ways so anyway so a positive thing about what's going on but i, I think it's we receive it as an opportunity as our window for you know proclaiming the gospel and the 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 story of enacting the kingdom through ritual through Mm -hmm. worship Mm -hmm. that has been revealed as a grace to us
0: if you're not a patron of enacting the kingdom you're only getting half a podcast this show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on patreon when you become a patron you'll get additional episodes live streams and our ever-growing backlog of episodes 66 at the time of this recording And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. And I think a book like The Power of Ritual, the fact that it's quite a popular book, I think displays for us that there are people are searching for some kinds of ritual that will give their life meaning. And, And I think you're right that we are sort of in a prime opportunity here to to show people a good ritual,
1: yeah, and there's and, also there's also an aspect which often in these types of uh, these types of worlds that I think that it, maybe if you push them a bit they would agree with you, but there's a sense in which ritual is not an in all only an individualistic thing. There's rituals bind bind us to others. That's one of the important aspect of rituals, and because rituals bind us to others, it means that you also can't improvise rituals the way that you think you might, you know, you can't decide today that if I walk up to someone and I'm like, well, today I feel like this. So instead of shaking his hand, I'll step on his foot. It's like, no, that's not going to work. There are realities that like, like father Jeffrey said, like there are rituals that are given to us and there are spiritual rituals, but there are even, even secular rituals that are given to us and that we need to, to understand that it's, it's a necessary part of reality because it also binds us as communities. It's not just something that you make up on your own for your own, like, uh, but I mean, there are, let's say, certain rituals that you can make up for yourself, but they're usually not rituals that bind you to others. You know, rituals like you can decide, let's say, at what time you're going to wash, you're going to take your shower and what time you're going to eat. And these are all rituals that you can improvise, let's say, on your own, but they're not... Let's say spiritual rituals are supposed to bind you to others and to bind you to something beyond you. So you can't just make it up yourself. It's not going to function the way you want it to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of our patrons had asked the question, which is what you're talking about right now. What is the relationship between ritual and tradition? And, you know, I think when we talk about ritual when when uh, rituals talked about on a popular level, a lot of it is is kind of self focused, right? What do I do in my life? What are the practices that make me feel connected? Whereas I think what you're talking about is kind of maybe two different kinds of rituals, you know, maybe the more important ones are ones we do in community and the ones that are less important we do by ourselves. Is that sort of a way that we could frame it up? Or uh, would you kind
1: of juggle that a bit? It's mostly about the purpose of the ritual. It's right. also because I—I I, I mean, you have to understand that my vision of ritual is very, very wide. That is, it to me, ritual is right. just patterning of behavior, and so you know, and so it scales all the way down to brushing your teeth, and all the way up to basically the Jesus prayer, you know, and attending to the heart and capturing the thoughts. It's like all of these layers are are just depending on what purpose that these rituals are are uh, are turned towards, and I think that the fact. Doing it this way, I think, is useful in a modern world because people who want to dismiss rituality, you, you can catch them and say, well, your, your world is ritualized. You can't avoid that. And so the fact that you want to remove rituality, let's say, at the spiritual level, like in a, let's say, a non-denominational church where they want to, like, remove all rituality at the spiritual level, it's like, no, you still sing songs. You still do things that are ritualized. You can't, you can't avoid it. Uh, so it's mostly about just embodying it in the proper, the proper things in the pr- in the in the right direction. So of course, the more you move towards the individual, the more you have idiosyncrasy. That's just a natural movement towards towards the towards the individual. And the more you'll have also something like uh, like what we, you know, what we call economia, right? In the Orthodox Church, where you have a standard of ritual, but then you have applications that are particular to to a person. Uh, and the higher you go, let's say. The more, the more it's it's uh, the more it becomes something like something that binds us to to together and to and to others. So,
2: yeah, I don't know that the um, the individual community thing is necessarily where the uh, the that division line would be in terms of importance and non-importance. I mean, one of the the big things and big stressors today is that people are actually being asked to invent themselves, right? To to determine their own identity. Right. Uh, to You know, that's the seems to be the kind of uh, implication anyway of a lot of the the kind of uh, liberation, quote unquote, that has been taking place. You know, there's all of the, the the ultimate product of, uh, you know, the modern liberalism is this freedom. Right. And one of the places freedom has gone in our society is you're now free to be whatever you want. You can choose anything about yourself. Well, I can't imagine anything more stressful or anxiety racked than to, to have to invent myself. And what a gift it is actually, you know, as an individual to know that I come from God and I'm in the image and likeness of God. And that gives yeah. me, you know, at the very deepest part of my being, a purpose, right? And I can actually rest somehow in that. Now it doesn't mean I'm without struggle. It's without a journey, without development, and so forth, and all that. You know, the Christian life attends to. But at the very heart of it, I don't have to invent myself, right? So it, that's a very serious matter indeed. And I think it's where an awful lot of you know this kind of grasping after, you know, doing different things, you know, and and we have an answer, you know, to all of that, right? That that ultimately, that that community and individual come together when you form a person. You're actually actually only properly a person in community in communion when you are you know properly in the image of a triune god who is himself a communion communion of persons right so all of that to me is is such a it's a relief and a peace <laughs> compared to this idea of well hang on there's, you've got a carte blanche, go out, now determine everything about yourself, your very purpose in life, your your sexuality, your gender, your, you know, every value, etc. It's all up for grabs. There's no parameters, no constraints, you know, just have at it. Well, naturally, people are going to be you know, actually driven to all kinds of things. You know, Jonathan mentions addiction. I mean, it, it, you know, you want to numb yourself against the pain of such a an awful chasm of of, of a void of of, of meaning and, and that sort of thing. So so I don't think that making, I mean, obviously brushing your teeth is on a different register from who you worship, right? But, uh, but in terms of the, the characteristic or the, the kind of constitution of the individual, that's a serious matter indeed. And so you know, we would, I think, say that there's a seriousness to everything. And as Christians, we're actually asked to attend to almost every aspect of our lives. That's why we have disciplines like fasting, right? No, we don't say what what you eat for breakfast doesn't matter. We 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 make a serious business of that too, because it's all interconnected, and ultimately should all be kind of aligned in the in the direction of our of our ultimate purpose, which is given to us by the very fact that we exist in the first place.
0: So, I've talked to lots of people who would say something like this, right? And I'm interested to get both of your reactions to this. It'd be something like, well, I get everything that religion would offer me in places that aren't religious, right? You know, things like community or participation, something bigger. Like, an example that comes to mind right now is sports, right? Like, sports will offer you everything, in a way that the church offers you. It offers you uh, a history. It offers you uh, saints. It offers you uh, liturgy. It offers you cathedrals, you know, in the stadiums. It offers you uh, colors to wear. It offers you um, kind of everything, all these aspects of, of our Orthodox life and Christian life in general. And, and one thing that I'd like to explore now is sort of, well, what does the church offer that, Sports doesn't offer, right? Like you know, is there you know, what more does the church what does the church have that is the next step? Well, you know, how does the church take these things and actually orient them towards the truest good that you know, sports can't do in and of itself?
1: yeah, I mean, we could take it really like at a very basic level and just and just be almost materialist like as as low as possible and not say high things that you know s- sports you're right sports does does offer a ritualized participation in an identity which has a lot of what you're saying it has celebration it has uh, you know an uh, let's say a veneration of excellence you know and it and a tendency to bring people towards uh towards excellence and everything um but it's ultimately limited because the virtues that the virtues that it brings about are limited to that which the sport can contain. And so the, the, and, and those are good. They're a good, but they don't encompass all of reality. And so there are other aspects of reality, other goods that are higher, that are more, that are more lofty that we should participate in for Mm -hmm. our world, for us, for us as beings to hold together and for the world to hold together as well. And this is what the church offers. That is, you know, the transcendentals that the church offers are, beyond sports. And even just in the fact that sports, let's say sport is represented as a competition. It's a competition. It's basically a kind of war, uh, like a low key warfare between different groups. And there's value in that, but it's, it's very limited. If you make that your highest value, then you, you are, you have a a dangerous portrayal of reality that you're existing in, which is a, uh, which is a world of competition and conflict. And so to let's say be engaged in a sport, but then also know that there's something above it. There's a way in which we're all bound together in love, that we're all kind of moving towards the possibility of of, of being the body of Christ and and uh, and being united despite our differences, despite our weaknesses. Because there's not a lot of celebration of weakness in sport. There isn't a lot of care for the weak in sport. All that stuff isn't there. But you need that as to be able to participate in a higher in a higher truth. If
0: you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com.
2: You can think right back to, um, you know, the well, Aristotle, who, who talks in the first instance about the kind of teleological model of of virtue and and so forth. I mean, he describes, you know, that everything that has a kind of purpose can have virtue if it's working towards that purpose, right? So a knife is virtuous in the... To the extent that it actually does what it's supposed to do, its purpose is is to cut. If it cuts, then it, you know there's a there's a virtue to that. So that operates on every level, right? So we we participate at the same time as human beings in all of these stories that have purposes and ends, and therefore all of them have uh, excellences that are oriented towards those ends, and and and, and we're doing this simultaneously with. All kinds of layers of things. The Christian story, the story of God, the story of the kingdom of God, as revealed in the scriptures, as ultimately and finally revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as then participated in through every generation of the church. And we have the exemplars of the saints, we have, you know, the 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 traditioning of, of all of the, the aspects of, of practice that are orienting ourselves you know, towards the, that end of, of, of the kingdom, that's just the biggest story that there is, right? So all those other stories will somehow, you know, kind of fold into that. And, um, you know, even that story of athletics or of, of sports or whatever, it, you know, that's it's used in the early church, a lot, you know, and even in the New Testament, as a kind of metaphor for certain aspects of that, you know, wider Christian life, and so to that extent, it, it is good, right? I mean, the, the the metaphor of the athlete, the running the race, or of the the wrestling, the the combat, the agona, the you know, the struggle of of spiritual life, these are all kind of taken from, you know, kind of sporting you know metaphors. To that extent, it kind of folds into a, one aspect of that that wider story. But it's precisely that: what is the end? We what is the purpose? What is the Telos is what the question that always, you know, comes to mind, and that's why ultimately, as we move out into this space where people are, you know, they are already because they're human ritualized. They're already because they're human participating in 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 stories that are either, you know, their rituals are either virtues or their vices because they're either going towards or away from the end of those stories. But that the. the thing that we can offer is the biggest story of them all, if, of the, the narrative that can outcompete all other narratives. And that the story of our world today is not one of an absence of, of all of this. It's where there's just been an utter explosion of all of this. This is Charles Taylor's you know, thesis in A Secular Age, that we've moved to this age, not where religion is absent, but where it's everywhere. And it's and everybody you know, has their own take on it. Well, the biggest story of all is the one that makes sense of the greatest you know, set of data. And that's everything from creation to the the end of all things. And that's the story, you know, that we have. And therefore, you know, that's the sense in which, you know, what we do at the Divine Liturgy in an Orthodox Church on a Sunday morning or on a feast day, by far exceeds what's happening in your Hamilton Tiger Cats stadium, you know, uh, on, on game day, much as it has, you know, lots of points of intersection and it functions, you know, it from the model of Aristotle and teleology and virtue ethics. And so it's the same thing that's at work, but it's the same thing that's when you're brushing your teeth, right? Yeah. Because there is a, there's a virtuous and, and, a and a teleologically driven way of doing that, that, that achieves that end. Um, So it it scales up, you know, and all these different layers and we can attend to it with the same thing. I I think the thing that's really interesting about having these discussions and being invited into this discussion by what's happening in the world today is that we'd actually stopped paying attention. To precisely you know how how all this was working. So again we were we had the idea of Christianity. We had Christendom we had cultural settlement and, and so forth. But what we were doing was actually participating unwittingly in all these other rituals, and all these other stories, leading to other ends, right? I mean the, the sports stadium is one thing, but what about the cathedral of the shopping mall? You know, with all of its iconography and teleology and transactions and spiritual transformation, everything we were you know, co-opted and conscripted to that, you know, far more than we were to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet we, we wouldn't have identified as consumers, as our fundamental identity. And yet that's what's happened. So by paying attention to any of this, it's actually a step forward, right? We can start to almost, you know, do the narrative criticism on the stories of our lives and figure out, okay, who are the real, you know, characters here? What's the plot, you know, who's writing this plot, who's the author that I want to, you know, kind of assent to and, and so forth. So so I think it's it's a useful framework to begin having these conversations, but also, I mean, it's the sort of thing we should be taking to confession, you know, mm-hmm. Father, I have sinned because these are the stories I've been really paying attention to and the rituals I've been living out towards those ends rather than living you know the fullness of the Christian life i think that's what mm-hmm. that's why i ask people to come to confession with rather than you know lists of you know naughty things or whatever that's not the point the point is what are you living in what story are you participating in what are you what are you what's the purpose that's driving the the kind of unthinking activities habits behaviors of your life because that's what ultimately will matter the desires of our hearts that will be revealed at the final judgment mm-hmm.
0: I would love to hear discussion. So th- there's two concepts keep coming up in our conversation and it's purpose and freedom, right? That like we, we as humans, at least from our Orthodox Christian perspective, would say that we do have a purpose, right? A telos, uh, a goal, a trajectory, right? When we look at an icon of Christ, ultimately we're looking at our own telos, our, our, our purpose. But at the same time, there's this emphasis on freedom as well. And I'm wondering what the relationship is between freedom to kind of do what you want. Like we as humans have freedom to kind of do what we want, kind of. But at the same time, we have a purpose, and which would seem to limit freedom. So I, I would love to hear a discussion on the relationship between freedom and purpose, and maybe like, do we have to redefine these words? Like what what's going on with yeah, these two concepts? I think we
1: do. I think we do need to redefine these words. I think that. That it, I think that Saint Maximus' his definition of freedom I think is just the best definition of freedom, which is you to frame it in the I won't like to frame it in the way that you framed it would be that the only manner that you are free is when you are moving towards your purpose. That's the only way you're free, and you have to think of it mostly like if you're moving towards your purpose and you're moving towards what you are, and if you're not, it means you become a slave to all these idiosyncratic things that are next to you. And so, so that's what, that's the true freedom. So the only true freedom is actually to move and become like Christ and to move and to be united with God and everything else that you engage with that isn't moving you in that direction is actually what is a form of, of, of slavery. So the idea that I'm free to drink, it's like, no, you're not free to drink because if you act that way, you'll, you'll become a slave of the bottle. And you will you will experience that as slavery. But when I act in truth, and when I act with virtue, with when, when I act with love, then I am free. I am not. I am not bound by these uh, by the exterior, as you'd say, or by the lower goods. Maybe right. if you would think of it that. way.
0: Uh, one metaphor that I've heard is, you know, when you plant a seed of a tree in the ground, if you give that seed its appropriate freedom, it will become a tree. Like it, it won't become a car. Exactly. Right? It'll become, it'll become a tree. Yeah.
2: Um, it'll be very stressed trying to become a car if you right. ask it to do that. Yeah. Or if it decides that's what it is, right? It'll, it'll have to go into therapy yeah. because it wasn't a car. Father Jeffrey, take it away. It, it's a complicated business because I think in some respects – I mean, Orthodox will um, emphasize a certain amount of freedom over against maybe a certain strain of Western Christianity that was all about, you know, kind of God foreordaining, you know, predestining certain eventualities. Right. So it sort of didn't matter whether or not you chose Christ because that was already determined in the stars somehow. Uh, And I think against that, Orthodox will emphasize a certain amount of responsibility to respond to god's call you know and that ultimately that call is universal and that we all have that opportunity and everything but i think where that the genesis of that which you know fundamentally christian concept and that obviously leads through stages to what we have in our kind of modern liberal you know mindset around freedom but now this idea of freedom as this kind of removing of all constraints right of removing all authorities that that that, that and an, Today, I mean, everything, all this vast chasm in the political spectrum in our our world is actually all in a very narrow part of the spectrum to do with how you actually implement freedom, right? Some people will say, well, it's by taking off all government shackles, that's the freedom we want. The other one says, well, no government has to be involved to, to give people the freedom to do whatever they want and to choose whatever identity, et cetera. So, but it's all about this kind of idea of freedom without constraint of any kind, and I think The insights of some of the stuff we're talking about here, late 20th century, early 21st century philosophy, and looking again at the human person, we understand that's not how human beings are, right? That's all predicated on the notion that you can just kind of think your way into some kind of of reality, whereas we're actually formed by ultimately discipline, by power, right? Power structures and, and, and disciplines and, and so forth are, are what is, are at work here. And you might think you freed yourself from that, but you are ultimately subjecting yourself to other powers. Right. And so the example of a the, the bottle that the alcoholic is, is, is subjected to, but whether you're aware of it or not, whether it's consumer pressure, whether it's, you know, the, um, all, you know, all the kinds of disciplines and, and, and so forth that are attendant upon all those stories that, that we're participating, we need to be kind of made aware, you know, of all of that. And the Christian answer is not to remove all of that, but to offer proper discipline. You know, we, we, we call ourselves disciples and there's, there's a kind of real purpose of that because it involves power and it involves being subjected to power but that power is the godly power of of the divine you know god himself right that, that we're putting ourselves into the right story with the right end and the, with the right purpose and therefore we can be formed in obedience to truth to goodness to beauty to everything that 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 we ultimately want and we don't pay attention to that it's not like we're not being formed we are being formed in all kinds of subconscious ways to things that are ultimately deforming us away from our our proper you know human nature so i think it's you know freedom as you know uh, is, is there, in terms of responding, you know, to God's invitation, but ultimately, as St. Maximus, you know, that quote that, that Jonathan gave, you know, says, unless the choice that we make is one to be according to our own proper nature and purpose, then we will be ultimately deformed by. You know all of these kind of counter uh, to 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 God's purposes, um disciplines and power structures and, and and so forth in in the world around us. But we need to pay attention to them. and that we have to kind of do this analysis and 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 figure out, assume always and everywhere that you are being formed in one way or another. And then to say, well, actually, I'm going to choose the formation that is actually in keeping with with who I am. And therefore, the rituals of the church, the liturgy of the church, the sacraments, the ascetical life, the, the life of, of, of prayer and self-sacrificing love, all of this kind of comes together as the community of practice and tradition that actually points us in the direction of, of, a, of a fullness of a purpose in life that is Ultimately, yeah, it's something we can choose. We can we can we can respond to, to God's call for, it, but it's not that we get every constraint removed, right? We have to be deliberate about the constraints that we choose, obedience to truth and love and goodness, mm-hmm. rather than all the other things that we've done subconsciously.
0: Enacting the Kingdom only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. Elizabeth writes, After listening to Enacting the Kingdom and other Eastern Christian podcasts, I decided to become a patron to get more involved in the faith community, further my education, and support Canadian thinkers and creators. I have found Enacting the Kingdom an intellectually stimulating and educational resource valuable to my growth in the faith. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. One of our patrons writes, uh, that definition of freedom, mind blown emoji. Love it. <laughs> uh, thank you. Alyssa. Well,
2: it's helpful
1: for now, especially in a debate in a world where people are saying free will doesn't exist and all of this stuff. It's like, it really, really just, it's, it just cuts through all that stuff to To use the the to me to use the the traditional definition of freedom that that the fathers uh, ended up embracing it's much better and it's right.
2: yeah. and remember our ultimate model for that is Jesus Christ who is right. perfectly obedient to the Father right.
0: Right? and sinless you know, right sin sin does not factor into freedom right in in his like he he was the most free person but did not participate in sin and didn't mm-hmm. sin so like. You know, I think when a lot of people think of freedom, they mean doing what you want, which means, I, I guess, sin kind of factors into their frame of freedom. Right. Whereas well, sin yeah. is slavery,
1: that's, the, that's why that's you right. can really think of it just almost like in terms of etymology, this idea that that, you know, sin is to miss missing the mark, It's missing your purpose. So when are you, when when is it that you have a purpose and you miss your purpose, Do you feel free? You know, if, I, if I'm if I'm trying to cook something and I miss my purpose, like I could be free to decide that I'm going to I'm going to add cement to my, you know, to my uh, to my sauce. But it's like it's going to miss the purpose, which is I'm cooking to eat. Right. And so it's like there's the, the idea of freedom, the way we think of it is so is so uh, it's just not useful. It's much better to, to, to look at the teleological idea of, of freedom.
0: It reminds me of Hagrid's rock cakes in Harry Potter. <laughs>
1: um,
0: okay, I, I do have another question here. Uh, again, this is a question from Sharon, one of our patrons, who wrote in earlier before the episode started. But she just writes simply, is there really any such thing as an empty ritual? And, and just to contextualize that a bit in our in the conversation we've been having so far, we've talked about maybe degrees of rituals, like brushing your teeth versus receiving the Eucharist, right? Those are both ritual actions that that sort of have... Um, one you can just tell different us implications. Of, let's different say. implications, yeah. So, but you know, is there? I I think you know us as Orthodox Christians are called to bring God and Christ into all of our rituals. Um, and, and I'm wondering if I could just get a bit of a discussion yeah. on you know, is there such thing as an empty ritual, or do all rituals orient you somehow? Even something as mundane as brushing your teeth.
1: I think that a ritual becomes empty when it's not in the right. Position And when it's not in the right place, that's when something, things appear as empty when they're not in their right place ontologically, you could say, you know, and so, so if you have a ritual that you, that you make into something that's too important, that's when it becomes empty, right? So if you, washing your hands is a very important ritual, but if you're obsessed with washing your hands and you're OCD about it. Then it becomes an empty ritual. It's an idolatrous, you could say an idolatrous ritual and so and you can imagine these idolatries as at different levels too. It's just about not having things not in their proper place. If you obsess too much about certain aspects of your life, then they 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 end up becoming something like empty rituals. So I think it's all about placement, which would make it look and em- make it seem empty or not, right? It's like if something's not in its right place, that's when it appears empty because it's not filling the role that you're trying to make it that you're trying to fill it with. It's like, there's nothing wrong with drinking. Like we talked about alcohol before, like there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a glass of beer with friends that are, are at a meal, but that ritual becomes empty when, you know, you're, you're, you're up late at night and you're in despair and you're, you're drinking your 40 ounce or whatever you're doing. It's like, then that ritual all of a sudden becomes an empty ritual.
2: Although, I mean, I completely agree with that. Maybe the word empty isn't the right yeah. word to use because it actually is deforming you, yeah. right? Um, so uh, the analysis that needs to be done, and, and I mean, the social psychologists will tell you that, I mean, 90, 95% of what we ever do, we don't even think about. It's just done by habit, right? So, and we don't even attend to that. And that's a kind of scary, <laughs> you know, thing. We think about, you know, ultimately being judged for how we are in, in life. If, if we think that we're acting in a certain way and that that's, according to what purpose we've determined for our lives, but most of what we're doing is not even analyzed in that regard. So in that sense, there isn't anything empty because it all needs to be interrogated and all all of it is leading to some story. Now, some of those Mm. stories are really petty. Some of those are really trivial. And so in that sense, you know, things can be, you know, empty. But I mean, brushing your teeth is important and the dentist will tell you that, right? (laughs) You know, and and that, that fits ultimately and can fold into a wider perspective of saying, well, hang on, You're, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, Christianity is not about disembodied souls going to be whisked off to heaven somewhere, it's about heaven coming to earth and joining, you know, heaven and earth together in the temple of creation and and so forth in an incarnational model, so the body is important, and so health care, to some extent, although it's less important than ultimate, you know, you know, life as Zoe is the, the life of the age to come, you know, so we're not about extending and, 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 you know, ultimately obsessing about uh, health and so forth, but it, it still plays a part in all of that. And so it, it, to me, it's about where you, you need to just attend to as much of this as possible to make sure that everything kind of folds into its right place. Right. So brushing your teeth important, but you know, it's important where it fits into that hierarchy and the priorities uh, of life and, and, and so forth. You know, if uh, it is, if there's some spiritual and and important consideration to be attended to, you can leave brushing your teeth for the moment to, to attend, you know, to that because you know, and you've organized and you've, you've paid attention to where all those different purposes kind of fit into that ultimate, you know, thing. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, empty you know can can have those different those those different meanings but we really need to pay attention to everything that we do i think that's one of the the messages that we get from from the early church from patristic tradition that you know that there's no sense in which our Christianity is just sort of carved out of a part of our life, right? That, well, that's the spiritual part of me. That's the religious part of me. And the rest doesn't really matter. The rest is just waiting in some sort of, you know, uh, train station, you know, lounge waiting for the the train that's going to come and take me to to some other place and I can just do whatever I want. No, every part of our life has to be informed and interrogated by the gospel to which we're, you know, committed. So in that sense, nothing ultimately is is empty mm-hmm. or Without need of interrogation and of of being looked at and, and considered within that whole, that whole thing, but absolutely empty in the sense of not leading to, 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 to what our ultimate purpose is for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, so for those who are listening to this as a podcast uh, later, uh, this is going to Kind of be the end of this episode, but next week uh, Jonathan will be joining us again. Uh, if you're listening, but if you're watching this live as a patron, don't go anywhere. Jonathan's staying with us, and we'll talk for another uh, another little while. Um, before I go, though, I, I do want to I want to end with this question. It's kind of a practical question, I think. You know, I, I was once at a monastery, and I saw a monk yawn, and he made a sign the sign of the cross Ooh. over his mouth nice. as he was yawning. <laughs> so he so he took. So he took a regular, I guess, ritual action of yawning or, you know, you might cover your mouth or whatever it might be. And he added the sign of the cross into that, into that, um, ritual. Are, Are we as Orthodox Christians, I guess, supposed to explicitly eventually include the cross or Christian things into all of our rituals,
1: um, yeah, I'm, I'm just wanting I, to. Get I, your, your bro, I, I don't that. think so, but I think that that particular example you gave is actually a, it's a wonderful example because everybody knows that yawning is is a is a symptom of our fallen nature you could say so you could imagine that's why when you go to church they're always telling you right attend attend like pay attention because it is about the capacity to attend and so wake up <laughs> why so the reason why he does the sign of the cross over his mouth when he's yawning is the same reason why in western monasteries they carve little grotesques on these uh, i forget what they're called but they're like these little places where you 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 can you can Put your arm down with, so that you, when you're standing, when you're tired and it's like a, and the reason why it's like a grotesque is to remind you that this is an image of your weakness. Like understand that, yes, we're giving you a place to rest your arm as a monk, but know what it means. Like know that it's a, that it's a sign of weakness. So I think that, you know, I think we have to be careful not to, to bring things in places where they they aren't supposed to. Like I, it would be kind of weird. I think it would become weird. Like you said, if you were, if you were just, if we were to to cross yourself before you brush your teeth. Exact example, the way we're talking about it. I think that it might be a little dangerous to start bringing it there. Um, but anyway, so I, that's my, my opinion, but I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe a saint, you know, maybe like some of these ascetics are able to really actually bring their attention all the way down into the most minute uh, uh, rituals that they're doing. Maybe.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, th- on one level, it's already there. I mean, mm-hmm. look what the, what the incarnation of Christ, which culminates and and climaxes in the cross, the death, the resurrection, ascension of Christ. I mean, that already touches every atom in the in the universe, right? That already touches every event in human history, and so, you know, if occasionally someone does something like that 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 extends it to there, I think that's all right. I think it would become. Become trivial if we what we tried to do was I don't know, turn every part of our life into the divine liturgy, right? If we if we I don't know if we spoke to one another in different tones and and <laughs> we and we uh, you know dressed up investments all the time or if we you know like like the point of the the kind of concentration of ritual in a particular you know event and at a particular time and space is about rehearsal a concentrated rehearsal for what will then inform the rest of our life, right? And so I venerate icons in the church to remind myself that every human being is in the image and likeness of God, that I'm seeing the image of God in them. It doesn't mean when I walk out into the street or go through the grocery store, I'm going to bow down and kiss everybody and venerate them as though there were icons, but it sh- certainly should affect the way I behave towards them right? And the way I treat them. And so I think it's in that level that we need to be mindful and extending the the ritual, but not as the ongoing, you know, particular rehearsal and stylization and and concentration of what we do in in worship in that regard. And so, you know, crossing the, the, the yawn is one thing, but if you were to just decide that you know 5 million times a day you were going to cross everything you were doing i think it starts to lose its meaning um, and and that kind of sense of concentration and and, and focus in order to be it, it should be affecting everything you're doing without actually having to do that action if that makes sense
0: thanks for listening i'm father yuri gladio an orthodox christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning and i'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend father jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.